Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Filipino American Ministry Podcast. I'm your host, Henrik, and my co-host, Aaron. And today we're interviewing Pastor Ralph Garay. Is that how you pronounce it? Garay? Yeah, yes. Garay, yes. For, for, the, Garay. Filipinos. for the Filipinos. Yeah. For the Americans, yeah. it's Garay. Garay, yeah. Pastor Ralph is a um, send NC International Church Planting Strategist with the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. So he works with a lot of church planners and he also came to America and he was a pastor of a Filipino American church in um, San Diego. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So we're hoping to learn a lot from you, Pastor Ralph. Can you um, share some of your, um, can you share a bit of your, who you are, your story and how you came to America and what led you to your current ministry in church planting? Yeah. Thank you so much again, Henrik and Aaron, for inviting me to be a a part of your podcast. And I'm so excited about our conversation. Yeah, I was born in the Philippines, in southern Philippines. And I grew up uh, in General Santos City, if you're familiar with that. And I came to know Christ in that city when I was 10 years old through an American evangelist who visited our city and for the first time, I heard the gospel preached, and just that, that was just on time for me because a few months before that, my uncle passed away, a young uh, uncle, uh, like probably just uh, three years older than me. So just like uncle and best friend and playmate, and then passed away. And started. I started asking the question, where will I go when I die? And then a few months after that, so this American evangelist, I heard the gospel presented that we were created by God to be loved by him. But we sinned against God, got separated because of sin. and But because of God's great love, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to shed his blood, die for our sins, so we can be reconciled back to the Father through faith in Christ, through his finished work on the cross and his resurrection. And so I I put my faith, trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So my faith journey started there. And then in college, I sensed God was redirecting my life towards ministry. I was pursuing engineering, but I sensed God was redirecting me towards preaching, teaching the Word of God, loving on people, and pointing them to Christ. So I went to the seminary in Baguio, Philippine Baptist Seminary, and then went back to my home church after graduation, home church in General Santos City, stayed there for eight years, started as associate maybe for six years. The last two years there, was I was the senior pastor and leading around eight to ten staff. And then God brought me and my wife to San Diego in 1995, pastored a Filipino church there for 11 years. And then in 2006, I received a call and invitation from North Carolina Baptist to come join them, work with them, and to focus on serving the international church planters in North Carolina. So that's that's my church planting journey. Oh, okay. So... Yeah, good question, uh, Pastor Ralph. So when you moved to San Diego, is that like a church plant or is that something that you were hired, is already an established church? 
that's established church. I'm trying to think. So that's probably started 1984 or 86 or 95. So that would be probably around nine year or 10 year old church at that time. And yeah. Okay. So your church plant experience actually just started because I read somewhere that um, I mean you also started church planting in the 90s, right? Or no, 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 early um, 2000s. So my my church planting journey actually, uh, I started uh, working with church planters and even our church in General Santos City, uh, we planted churches. So, but I wasn't like a lead guy in terms of uh, helping those church plants. I was just like a uh, a guy that's you know watching those church planters uh, plant those churches, and I I served with them in their evangelistic uh, events and discipleship events like that. And then uh, what happened was when I was pastoring in Southern California in San Diego. Uh, uh, I think it was on my eighth year, I got invited to a church planting training. And that was my first time to attend a training for wow. church planting as a pastor of this church. And that was in, Gate, uh, in Golden Gate Seminary, <laughs> sponsored by NAM. Uh, I forgot the exact year, but maybe like around 2002. And... And then as a result of that, I, I was so excited. I said, oh, man, we can plant churches. We can. <laughs> so right. I went back to, our, to, our, to my church in San Diego, and I started sharing what I learned and start praying and talking about church planting. And then suddenly God was moving in a way where he introduced us to church planters who needs a sending church. Mm -hmm. And so in my last four years there, we saw like uh, four churches planted through our church. And wow. and I would say we wouldn't be probably in that place sending those four church planters, planting those churches in California if I did not uh, attend that basic church planting training because i don't have any idea that we as established church we can plant we can send we can sponsor we can support um church planters right 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 so uh when you moved to north carolina that was also part of a church planting ministry uh yes uh so what happened was i asked my team leader at that time who was interviewing me, actually, um, he became like a colleague of mine because there's another team leader that works in our team. And so I asked him, uh, why did you invite me? Why did you call me to join your team to work with you? And why me? And where did you get my name? And he said, uh, we got your name. You are referred to us by... Joe Hernandez. And Joe Hernandez was our basic church planting trainer in Golden Gate Seminary. Uh, and, and I just met him once in that just in that training. But also, uh, so I said, that's so 
godlike because there's no way Joe Hernandez would remember me and give my name uh, to the church planting team in North Carolina to consider me coming here. Uh, so that's a God move. And also at the time, I was the president of the Filipino Southern Baptist Fellowship of North America. So I was leading our team in a national level in terms of enhancing fellowships among pastors. So maybe there's also a connection there because I've been to NAM office for some meetings there representing the Filipino-American uh, fellowship. Mm, I see, I see. So with your work in church planting, is it mostly with Filipino-American churches or is it like a mix? Uh, I'm working with international churches. So uh-huh. that means that's beyond Filipino, that's beyond Asian. Right. So I'm working with let's say among Asians, uh, Vietnamese, Chinese, Japanese, Filipino, uh, Burmese, and then it expanded to Nepali, Pakistani, uh, Egyptian, Iranian, and then two uh, Africans also serve Africans like Congolese, uh, Kenya, Nigerian, um, Liberian, Ghana, and then also Eastern European, Russians, Ukrainian, uh, Moldovans, Romanians. So these are the church planters uh, represent. Uh, these are the countries that the church planters I serve here in North Carolina. I assist and uh, coach and mentor. And these are some of the countries that they represent. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, that's, a lot. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of people group. Yeah, yeah it's like a, it's like a. 42 nations represented that reaches to 84 languages uh, and that's North Carolina. Right. Wow. Um, Henrik and I was just curious. We have this question that um, I think it's quite relevant to uh, at least the Filipino American context and probably to other like language ethnic churches, but I think more so to Filipino Americans because you know, we tend to speak English as opposed to like the ethnic tongue, right? I think maybe because, you know, we're all mixed anyways. And you get Filipinos together who are Locano, Cebuano, we guys speak English. But anyway, um, it seems like uh, there is this thing in Filipino American churches that we need to uh, be more like... What do you call that, Henrik? Like more diverse? Multi-ethnic. Multi-ethnic, yeah. That move towards being multi-ethnic. Um, and Henrik and I have always been, you know, we, I, we, we think that there should be room for churches who choose to be, to remain ethnic. Because um, it seems like the move right now, right, is like towards becoming like multi-ethnic. Um, at least in our experience, probably it's just in our experience, but in our experience of being in, in Filipino churches, it's like we want to become multi-ethnic. Therefore, you know, leaving sort of that Filipino ethnicity behind and becoming more American culture, right? I mean, that's really where it tends to go to. You become more of the majority culture when you when you move towards the multi-ethnicity. So I guess the question for you is, you know, with all your experience with uh, church planting, especially with ethnic churches, like, is there room for ethnic churches? And um, uh, what do you have to say about this issue? Yes, uh, that's a very, very good question because uh, primarily the first generation uh, ethnic churches, they struggle in terms of 
transitioning towards multi-ethnicity or multiculturalism, and which is uh, the reality around us outside our churches, right? right. It's happening in schools, it's happening in offices. Uh, and then when yeah. we come gather in our church, uh, we're like segregated by our ethnicity or nationality. And But I could also hear from first generation pastors, their struggle with second generation, right. uh, just within their ethnicity, like Filipino Americans, and then the second generation uh, Filipino Americans. Uh, and uh, so they're always uh, complaint is that, how can they keep in their churches, in their first generation churches, the second generation? And yeah. and, and for me, when I hear that uh, question, uh, I have mixed feelings because I don't know if that's the right question. Uh, mm. I've never asked that question. And I will never ask that question if I'm a pastor of the church, how to keep the second generation. Because in reality, as a first generation pastor, I know my capacity as a first generation pastor. I know my giftedness. I know my education, my experience. And if I move towards multi-ethnicity and really, uh, really try to keep the second generation in our first generation church, uh, me as a pastor with the leadership that I lead and also the members of the church who are mostly first generation, we really have to sit down and talk about how does it look and how do we behave and uh, what are the paradigm shift that we need to make if we want to really see our church, a first generation becoming multi-ethnicity or really discipling and keeping the second generation. Because there is so much uh, factors that we need to consider the way um, the way we carry ourselves as a first generation. Are we willing to like let go of you know some things that we have accustomed in the Philippines, mm. uh, like um, maybe food or maybe uh, our attraction to first generation to first generation? Are we willing to kind of give that a, a space? So the second generation can come in and, and then are we willing to learn how to disciple second generation, how to um, point the second generation to Christ and, and to one another and to each other, whoever is in our church now. And so there's just so many things that we need to, to, to talk about that. And, but one thing I, I see is that first generation struggles because they're asking the wrong questions. And I should say, what's the right question? The right question should be, uh, what's the best pathway for the second generation and for other ethnic groups that we are trying to reach that we can point them to Jesus Christ, that they can grow in the word, in prayer, in fellowship, in worship? I should be asking that question. And then, uh, and then assess where we are as first generation church and then uh, wh where do we need to be so we can be that church that can cater the second generation and disciple them, equip them as leaders. And if not, if, if, if we can't be there as first generation church, then my, my thought is I should start looking for a multi-ethnic church 
maybe a second generation church or maybe an Anglo church that is multi-ethnic and then start pointing uh, our second generation towards that church because uh, we, we have to really assess uh, our, our role now in our generation um, and how can we minister to the first and then at the same time, how can we bless the second generation? So, so there's just so many things uh, in terms of uh, paradigm shift. But mm-hmm. one thing I think that helps me and my wife is that when our kids were born, so they're born here in, uh, in the U.S., in San Diego, uh, we don't look at them as Filipinos. Uh, we treat them as Americans. Um, we didn't force them to speak uh, Filipinos. We didn't force them to go see the Philippines, uh, see where I was born, see the school, you know, where I grew up. Uh, that's not in our conversation because right there and then I see them as Americans. They're not like me. They're like me in color, in, right, right. in feature, but but they're not. They're not Filipinos. They're they're Americans. They're born here. They grew up with Americans, and that really helped me. I, that's why I didn't struggle with first and second generation struggle. Of course, there's there's struggle because I struggle as a first generation trying to communicate with second generation, but really trying to keep them, make them like me, like Filipinos. Like um, that's not my struggle. Although I heard many struggle in that area. Right. Mm. Wow. So, Go ahead, Dennis. Yeah, so you're I guess you're uh, to summarize your take is it like you're you're trying to focus on the the people you're ministering to what what can help them and if if you as a church and you as a pastor cannot provide the needs that they have then you would try to find another ministry that uh that they could go to that would help provide for them is that kind of your your take on it? Yes, yes, exactly. So it's just like, you know, if I cook an adobo right now, and then you're my guest, (laughs) my tendency is that because I cook adobo, and then it's so good for me, is to force you, try to force you to eat my adobo. And and, and for me, that's not a good posture. I Mm. I should know you as a person who visited and being my guest, I should know what you like and what's your culture, you know, what's what's the entry point in your life for a gospel conversation? What's the entry point for disciple making in your life? And then I would facilitate that rather than force my very delicious adobo, my very delicious pancit and lumpia, and then force you to kind of, you know, you have to try this, eat this. This is so good, man. Eat this, right? So, but really for you it's not good uh, it, uh what's good for you what's very good for you it's different from from what's good for me so so i'm more focused on you rather than focus on me but if i'm focused on me and my church and trying to grow my church then my tendency is to force you to be like us which mm-hmm. doesn't work never work but if mm-hmm. i kind of just get to know you where, where do you connect? How do you connect uh, to the word of God and to the kind of people then, and then bless you and affirm you and, and pray for you and continue to just encourage you. You know, that, that's a church. That's a good church. That's a gospel, Christ-centered, uh, Christ-worshipping church. Go there. Hmm. Yeah. They're not like us in our church where, you know, you kind of grew up, but go to that church because that's the kind of church 
I see you will grow more, you will learn more, you will, you know, serve more. Wow, that's uh, that's really amazing. Um, you know, coming from like a first generation pastor, and like, you know, it's okay. They want to go there, they go there. They're not Filipino; they're Americans. <laughs> uh, I, I, and I also really like what you said that you know you should know your capacity. Um, this is one reason why I'm working with the pastor I'm working with right now because he's also first gen, and one of the things he said is like, I need help with the second gen. I'm I'm more of a third culture, you know, 1.5. I could see, yeah, I mean, it's important that we know our capacity. And um, it's really interesting how you said, you know, like figure out, ask, don't ask the, don't ask the wrong question. I, and I, I could see where that's coming from. Yeah, I think the right question is like, what is the, the best pathway for them? Like you said, mm -hmm. um, it's one of the funny things that uh, I heard when I was in seminary from my church planting uh, professor. Um, he was planting, uh, um, he was, uh, well, in one of the people group that he was planting, the, that, that in their people group, they were complaining about their children becoming Americanized. And then he told them, like, he told them, like, then why did you come to America? <laughs> you know? Yes. That's <laughs> right, that's right, yeah. But I yeah. think that is, that is the struggle, though, with, I mean, I'm a dad now. That is kind of like the struggle of Filipino first generation parents is, you know, we still want our children nearby. You know, we still want our children to be going to the same church. But I guess, yeah, the reality is, as pastors, we are pastoring two different cultures. Even though yeah. you know, the second gen look different, right? It's like it's like that. Yeah, yeah. The, that's saying like there has to be that paradigm shift that even if they look like you, it's a different kind of culture. So yeah, yeah. That's very true. And I think, uh, you know, what you just said triggered something in my mind uh, about the issue of identity. I think that's also one thing that really helped me uh, because I learned so much about my identity in Christ that being Filipino, first generation, or even um, my ethnicity, my culture becomes secondary. Because primary for me is who I am in Christ. And then if I talk to anybody, regardless of ethnicity, and so I'm, yes, I know the validity of ethnicity and culture. And, but those are like bridges and vehicles. But really, I'm interested about this person because I want him to find his identity in Christ. Not, not finding his identity in multi-ethnic church or multicultural church, first generation church, second generation church, because all of these are changing. But your identity, identity in Christ doesn't change. But if, if you're grounded in who you are in Christ, it doesn't matter now if my kids will become like me or not. I don't care if you know they eat uh, adobo or not. I don't care uh, because. I want to more, I, I, I'm focused more on finding themselves, their identity in Christ. Because if you are founded and grounded in who you are in Christ, then you can easily blend and bridge and talk to any culture, any ethnicity, because you know who you are and you know wh why you are there and, and talking to somebody and 
engaging that person with the gospel. Right. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, Pastor Ralph, you know that if you know our identity is in Christ, so and your ethnicity should be secondary. So why do we need ethnic churches? That's a very good question, and I think we need uh, ethnic churches for a season. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll go back with that. Why it's in a, a season, right? Uh, because that's uh, our ethnicity is our is our bridge to communication, culture, and understanding. Uh, you know, our walk with the Lord uh, through others who can, who can speak to our lives, um, our heart language. We need that. We need that. So the heart language issue. If uh, you speak to me in my language and explain to me the scripture and, and we talk about using our, our culture, uh, I can easily understand. And, and that's why it's for, for a season because there's a season in my life I need that. And for me to be grounded and be strong, be strengthened until I, I grew up in my identity in Christ and my calling in Christ, understanding that. So using my ethnicity and my culture to reinforce that. But I outgrow that when I begin to see and understand and, and grow uh, in my foundation of who I am in Christ and what's the purpose why he made me and created me and what he has called me to do. Because now... I'm going above and beyond my ethnicity, my color, my culture, because I begin to realize in the scripture that I'm called, I'm a child of God, and I'm a witness, not just to the Filipino culture, to the Filipino ethnic uh, ethnic or ethnicity, but I'm called beyond that. And to whoever God is sending my way, they need to hear the gospel. They need to be discipled. They need to be equipped. And but I want to go back to the word season. So that's why there's a season because there's a purpose for uh, ethnicity and culture uh, to be God's bridge uh, to deliver discipleship, deliver His word, deliver His work in our lives. But I'm but that's just for a season. I have to outgrow that as I continue to grow in grace, in knowledge, and in Christ. And, and then when I see myself uh, out, outgrew my ethnicity, my culture, then that's when I begin to see that I'm, I'm no longer dependent on my culture and ethnicity, but I'm, I'm grounded in Christ and I'm dependent on Christ and to whoever he wants to speak uh, and use me to speak to that person or disciple that person, um, you know, I'm available and I'm willing. So, and I don't like um, choose like, you know, this kind of people, this kind of people, and I don't like the kind of people. And these are the kind of people that I like because I have outgrew my, my ethnicity, my culture. Right. Amen. So, so you're saying that um, ethnic churches are good for new, newer believers. So that's their, their value. Is that what you're saying? 
uh, yes, uh, for those that are uh, like their culture and ethnicity, right? Uh, so they can help them uh, uh, grow in the Lord. But again, uh, we just use that as a bridge. So that's why a it's for a season. Uh-huh. And also, and also, there will come a time, a few years from now, that let's say if migration from the Philippines stops, the first generation uh, uh, starts to die. There, I, I don't think there will be this many Filipino churches mm. because I don't see there is a uh, there is a use for Filipino churches when the first generation who speaks Filipino and uh, acquainted with Filipino culture are no longer existing and more of the Filipinos are second generation. Uh, which most likely second generation will be plugged in in multi-ethnic uh, churches or, um, you know, just a different expression of churches, uh, mm-hmm. unlike the first generation. So, and it's also true to other ethnicities, but yeah. there will be a struggle because uh, as long as I'm focused on my culture and language right. and my comfort zone, my convenience, I want to keep, you know, what's comfortable to me. But that's where the tension is. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of um, some some Filipino churches, there was a shortage of immigrants, uh, Filipino immigrants to that area. <laughs> and that church started to die because um, yes. they don't have many Filipinos that they can minister to. Yeah, and that's coming. That's coming in the, uh, in, in, in the uh, future. Uh, more and more uh, Filipino churches uh, will no longer exist as first generation. And if they have shifted well, uh, to disciple second generation, they may still exist as a local church with the same name, but it's gonna be different leadership. Uh, mm. It's 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 second generation led, and and then the second generation is being used by God to take it to the next chapter, next season. Yeah. Right, right. Mm. Yeah, can you explain some of that a little bit? I'm curious to hear more. So you said if the first generation can cater better to their second generation and they can sh- make that paradigm shift is what you were saying. Can you explain more how, like for the Filipino first gens who are listening to our podcast, like what encouragements do you, could you give them to make that shift? Or what, what can they think of? To prepare for the second gen, you mean? Yeah, to prepare yes, for the yeah. second gen. Yeah, I would say like our metric, I want to start with metric of success. If I'm a first-generation believer, my metric of success is that how well I disciple the second generation Mm -hmm. and how well have we prepared them so they can reach our third generation. Because my success is not just how well I prepared the second generation, but if God would allow me to see the third generation is that how well are they reaching their four, the fourth generation? So mm-hmm. that means my success, my level of success as a follower of Christ, being a first generation Filipino is that how did we disciple? How did we prepare? How did we bless? How did we equip the second generation? Are mm-hmm. they able to follow God in their own to reach their generation for Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so so, so that, that's, I think, my question. There. Okay. So, so do you think the, 
the first generation pastors who are listening. So some of them are probably focusing on first generation Filipinos. So do you think that they should, if they have a lot of second generation in their church, do you think they should shift their focus then from the first generation Filipinos to more of the second generation in their congregation? I think uh, both uh, that the reason I'm discipling the first generation, me being a first generation, is that it's for the sake of the second generation. Uh, and again, okay. that's another issue about discipleship because many times discipleship is so uh, self-centered. Uh, like, I'm going to disciple this guy so that he'll know more about the scripture. And then, but there's there are aspects in the scripture I want to, I want to emphasize for him to learn, and that's uh, being a part of a church so he can be faithful in attendance. You know, mm-hmm. that's not the purpose of membership in the church, to be faithful in attendance. That's unbiblical. Mm-hmm. And that may be part of it, but that's not the whole goal. And like, for example, oh, I want to disciple this guy in the area of tithing so that, you mm-hmm. know, we can meet our budget, right? Yeah. You know, that's unbiblical. That's so earthly. And and we are using people if we do that. If we disciple people so they can be faithful in attending and listening to our preaching and teaching, and for 10 years, 15 years, they still are listening and attending. And, um, you know, there's something wrong with me as a disciple maker. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I have to reassess. And also, like, if my purpose is for them to be faithful in attendance, to be faithful in giving, so we can meet budget. Yes, we need to meet budget. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is I'm discipling you as first generation because I'm first generation. Is So we can, you can, you and I, we can disciple the second generation better. Mm-hmm. So that they can reach their generation, and then they can also be prepared to reach their next generation. Okay. So, and so it's not self-centered. It's it's for their generation. It's for them to reach the nations. So there's like a sending concept uh, in in our mind while we're doing what we're doing. Mm. Okay. So you're you're. You don't see them as opposing. You see them as they work together. Like the min, discipling the first generation is also goes hand in hand with discipling the second generation. Yeah. Yes, and and this is my 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 belief and maybe an opinion uh, to others, but the second generation can be best discipled only. Uh, you know, ideally, all the ingredients there, uh, if the, if they're discipled by the first generation, because there's so much about being a first generation, let's say Christian or Filipino American, and then we're walking uh, in God's word with Christ, uh, filled by spirit, and then we know why we exist in our generation, it's to disciple the second generation then we, we've seen our purpose. We've discovered our our purpose. And then second generation is best discipled by the first generation. But again, sometimes there's problem in the church because the first generation are not discipled, so they don't know how to disciple the second generation. So mm. 
because yeah. really in our generation, there's already a problem with discipleship. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I really like that point you made about uh, the, they're not opposing. I think that's I think that's beautiful that the discipleship is always outward looking, and it doesn't just stop yes. with one person. Yeah, and it's a partnership. Uh, so can you imagine if uh, you know the oldest and then the not not so old are working together in discipling the younger ones in the church? But they know why they're discipling them. It's not about being self or church-centered focus or inward focus, but it is so we can send them. We can send this second generation to wherever God wants wants to send them. So, you know, it's it's going back to what's our purpose like that. Mm-hmm. For me, that's the ideal. So uh, I know it's happening uh, in, in other churches, but I still struggle because many first generation doesn't see that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that's a big as a common um, struggle, I guess, for for ethnic churches and I guess all churches in general. Yes, yeah, yeah. very true. Um, do you? Uh, what are some of the um, common struggles that you see? I mean, besides the one that we talked about, what are other some com- other common struggles that you see in like Asian Filipino American churches? Oh, okay. Uh, I think one is, again, you know, the tradition that uh, we brought from our country of origin and how we do things there and then to transition in a new country. uh, You know, that's a big struggle because, again, that's human nature. Uh, We tend to do what we are accustomed, what we are, you know, used to to do. and, And then we miss to read, like, the new place, the new country, the new context where we are in. Um, So that's, that's, you know, a struggle because we are forced to get out of our comfort zone and we don't like that. We we don't like, we like our comfort zone. And, but, you know, if you want to be a a witness for Christ, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you have to learn to get out of your comfortable tradition and culture and and even the people that you surround yourself with so that you can be light and salt to the people that God wants to send you and uh, to be his instrument. So that's that's one. And of course, uh, emotionally, uh, you know, being uh, feeling lonely. We miss our our country of origin. We miss our friends, our relatives, our loved ones. And that's that's common, and especially in the first three or four years. Uh, if you just newly migrated here, um, almost probably every day you want to go back to the Philippines if you are Filipino. <laughs> and uh, every day, yeah, I heard somebody like every day, you know, she would nag her husband, I want to go back to the Philippines. And, and, and because it's, you know, it's, they're adjusting, and, and that's part of it. And so that's one. And, and also, I think, uh, with the aspect of being in a culture, um, majority culture that's uh, individualistic. Right. Uh, and then we came from a very communal uh, culture. And so there's like uh, a difficulty in terms of understanding that uh, because we work uh, 
we think always of a community, a family. You know, we when we decide uh, to buy something, when we decide to do something, we at the back of our mind, you know, what will my dad say? What will my mother say? What will my siblings say? That's you know being communal. But individualistic people doesn't think that way. You know, they just go ahead and do uh, what's good for them, what's what's best for them, right? And then they realize. Uh, the family start to question their decisions, and and then oh, why, why are you questioning you? Right? So, but you know that's that's part of the struggle. So right, right, yeah. So um, man, I wish we. I, I think we need to have like a part two because I feel like there's still a lot that, that we can learn from you. But um, in closing, you know, as as we're ending, I do want to ask like, what would you say? Because this this podcast is really for like. Uh, Filipino Americans who are in ministry, who are trying to serve in in that context, what would you what would you say to Filipino American uh, leaders or ministry people who are listening? Like, what what would if you could give them a few advice? What would it be? Yes, uh, um, I would just encourage them to. Uh, grow in understanding of their identity in Christ, uh, who we are in Christ. Because for me, that's that's big time uh, in terms of our transition, adjustment, and as we navigate in a different culture, uh, because that's our anchor, our identity in Christ. But our identity in Christ comes from knowing Christ, knowing who Christ is. Uh, and and then that's where our identity uh, uh, comes from, right? So, so I want to encourage uh, my fellow workers, my Filipino uh, Filipino American ministers, um, continue to grow in Christ and knowing Him more and more uh, in your life, uh, because out of that, your identity overflows. And then when we know who we are in Christ, because we know who Christ is, uh, our influence uh, overflow out of that. Uh, that that's when we see, uh, we, we express who we are in Christ in different settings. Uh, God has set up opportunities, divine appointments for us. And, and we're not ready until we are there. But if we are anchored in who Christ is, and who we are in Christ, then most likely we will be able to discern what's the best thing to do in that situation to influence and point people to Christ. And then I think that's where um, we see, we begin to see impact in our ministry. We begin to see lives change uh, as God worked in us and through us. Um, And that's why ministry is a joy. Right, right. Uh, yes, you know, there are burdens, there are difficulties, challenges, but just like the Apostle Paul, you know, he's marked with joy even inside prison and out of prison. Why? Because again, it goes back to who Christ is in his life and who he is in Christ. And then out of that relationship, intimacy. Right. And I would say like our, our ministry is a journey of abiding in Christ that leads to reaching the lost, discipling believers, equipping missional leaders right. that God 
can send to reach the nations. Right. Wow. So for those who, for you know, Filipino American ministers who are looking for resources, um, how can they find you and how can they find things that are, uh, do you know of any resources that they could use to help them in their ministries, in, in their specific context? Uh, yes, because I work with North Carolina Baptist, so I'm more acquainted with uh, North Carolina Baptist. And I'm sure in other uh, conventions uh, in different states, they also have uh, resources. But I would start if, you know, wherever you are located, what state you belong, uh, you have partners there that you can start with local churches around you or association of Southern Baptist churches or your uh, state convention. Uh, so, so many resources available through these agencies and organizations. And then if you wanna go up to national level, uh, our North American Mission Board, so many resources. And also if you wanna uh, learn about how you can send and encourage your church members to go reach the nations, uh, we have IMB. Uh, resources and all of this exists to resource an individual and a local church uh, to uh, be able to fulfill what God has called them to do all for his glory and his honor but if you want to connect with me uh, personally um, you can find me in Facebook Ralph <laughs> Garay <laughs> of course there are other Ralph Garays there but you can see me on my uh, profile and and send me a messenger message just to make sure that that's me <laughs> and uh and then from there you know we can exchange more uh contact information but i'm just here i'm in social media Funny. and I i'm not really that uh expert in social media but i'm just trying to uh, do what i can you know learn to connect with people yeah Funny. yeah yeah, that's funny because that's how I how I met you the first time. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. I met you by I messaged you and then we talked and then we finally met in person in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, everyone, uh, Pastor Ralph is very approachable. And, um, he's uh, he's a good resource, and we we thank you, Pastor Ralph, for coming on the podcast. Thank you oh, for your oh, time. Don't forget the very last question we always ask our guests: oh. if there's one person that that we should invite in this show and we can really learn from, who would it be? <laughs> wow, you know, that's a good question. So then, so then when we ask them, we'll be like, hey, Pastor Ralph uh, uh, recommended you. <laughs> yeah, have you uh, talked to Dr. Rico Almeranias from California? Dr. Rico? Yeah, Dr. Rico Almeranias. Almeranias, we'll have to yeah, look. that's one. And of course, if I think of Arizona, Pastor Alan Gayongala, I know you only asked for one, but no, yeah, I keep it, keep it coming. <laughs> yeah, Alan. Pastor Alan, Pastor Alan Gayongala in in Phoenix, Arizona. Amazing, uh, so so much to share, resources, experiences in ministry, family, yeah, uh, loss or victories like that. Uh, that's another guy. Of course, there's so many more uh, that you know. I can send you, uh, you know, behind our podcast. Right. Okay. If you ask me, yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah, we'll connect with you again, Pastor Ralph. 
Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Henrik. Thank you, Aaron. And it's just a you know, pleasure and very encouraging to uh, spend time with you. And I see hope. My, my heart is filled with joy uh, because I, I was able to talk to second gen or third gen. Uh, you know, depends on how you label yourself. But uh, you are the leaders now in among Filipino American uh, followers of Christ. And thank you so much for what you're doing. You're exactly doing, you know, what you can do in your generation to encourage the first and then the future generation ahead of you. And thank you, thank you so much for uh, trusting in Christ, believing Christ, and following Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Pastor Ralph. Thank you, Pastor Ralph. I love you guys. Love you. Thank you. Yeah, I love you too. See ya. See ya. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.